0: Welcome to Church on the Edge, a podcast designed to challenge you and help you rethink what church is and what church should be. This is your host, Dan Armistead. You can learn more about me on my website, danarmistead.com and follow me through my regular post under the heading of Church on the Edge on both medium.com and and Substack.com, where I invite and challenge you to live life on the edge like Jesus. Welcome to the podcast. In this season, we've been working our way through the New Testament book of Galatians, and we've entitled our study of this book, Confronting Cultural Christianity. And all throughout this letter of Paul to the believers in Galatia, we see the stark differences between ministry motivated and led by rules and regulations, self-seeking and self-aggrandizement, ministry that divides and separates and excludes, ministry that places rules above relationships, conformity above the freedom to be and become who God is calling us to be, versus ministry motivated and led by a love for people, all people, whoever they are and whatever their lifestyles may be, and a a ministry that seeks to build real, genuine, and transparent relationships, relationships built on a common relationship with God through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And we come today to a passage in Galatians that demonstrates this very stark difference paul appeals to the galatians in this passage on the basis of friendship and he's going to show that unlike the jewish teachers among them who were pressuring the galatians to conform to jewish culture and jewish ways that that he paul is a true friend And his friendship is seen in the give and take that's found in genuine, real relationships, relationships built on the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, I I love what Paul does here. And it's another example of Christianity that incarnates itself in culture. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22, I have become all things to all people that by all possible means I might save some. And so Paul begins this passage with references to several commonly held beliefs about friendship among Greeks. These were things that the Greek philosophers had written about things like friends learning from one another and becoming like one another, friends welcoming and accepting each other with all their flaws and weaknesses, and and friends who, however hard it might be, always speak the truth to one another. And after Paul describes these qualities that are found in his relationship with the Galatians, He then contrasts those things with the relationships the Galatians have with these Jewish teachers, teachers who, in fact, weren't their friends at all. And Paul doesn't say this in the passage we're looking at today, but when we come back next week to the passage that follows this one, Paul's going to encourage the believers in Galatia to break ties with, and in his words, to cast out these Jewish, slave, these Jewish teachers who he calls children of the slave woman. And again, we'll get to that next week. But for now, let's focus on what Paul says in this passage about friends and enemies. And once again, I want to point out how Paul is communicating with the Galatians using common traits of good friends as taught by the Greeks. He's speaking in their language. He's communicating in their culture. He's using their understanding, their worldview, if you will. That's what we do as ambassadors for God's kingdom. That's what we do as servants of Christ. We, we share the good news of God's kingdom in such a way that, that people can connect. Now, maybe you've read some of my rock and roll devotionals. I do one every Friday through Church on the Edge. You can sign up for these devotionals at substack.com or just shoot me an email at armisteaddw, that's for Daniel Wayne, at gmail.com. But those rock and roll devotionals are a way of communicating the gospel and communicating the gospel in the language of today's culture. Now understand something, I I don't condone the lifestyle or the beliefs or some of the lyrics of the music that I share. In fact, sometimes I show just how far they are from the gospel, like the one that came out today, Metallica's song entitled of Wolf and Man. (laughs) Again, you can check that out on substack.com under Church on the Edge. But what I do with the rock and roll devotionals, is I I, I seek to connect the gospel with a a truth found in those lyrics, or maybe not a truth, but maybe a a heart cry for peace or for deliverance. Now, I, I haven't done any yet, but I plan to do the same thing with Hollywood movies. There are a lot of connections between many of the movies from Hollywood and many of the promises of God to us through Jesus Christ. Anyway, be that as it may, let's look at this passage together. And I want you to notice the very first thing that Paul says in verse 12. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me. Now, stop right there. If that were all Paul says, then the truth of the matter is that he's no different from these Jewish teachers. That's the essence of culture-bound Christianity. Become like us, think like us, walk like us, talk like us, worship like us, vote like us. Boy, that's a big one today, isn't it? (laughs) In my book, Prophets are Patriots, How Evangelicals Are Giving to Caesar What Belongs to God, I, I clearly say that as Christians, we ought to vote our conscience, And we should vote for who we believe is the best choice to lead our nation, our our local community, whoever we're voting for, whatever the circumstances. And the truth is that sometimes those choices aren't easy, are they? Sometimes we choose the lesser of two evils. Sometimes we just hold our noses and vote. But whoever we vote for, and whatever our reasoning, we should never forget that we are, all of us, called to be ambassadors for God and God's kingdom and as ambassadors for Christ our allegiance is not to a political party or candidate not to a legislative process through laws or court decisions no these things don't change the hearts and lives of people Whatever good they may do, they they fall far short of what only Jesus Christ can do in the lives of people and, are you listening, in the lives of nations and societies and cultures. And when our Christianity becomes so aligned with political parties and candidates and laws and legislation that the people we're trying to reach can't tell the difference between our Christian faith and our political allegiance, well, then we're no longer in the world but not of the world. We're in the world and we are of the world, both feet clearly planted in the world. No, become like me is not all Paul says here. He continues and he says, become like me for I became like you. I love what Tim Keller says about Paul's words here in his little commentary on Galatians, and I'm quoting Keller here. Gospel ministry is culturally flexible. A ministry that's energized by the gospel is flexible and adaptable with everything apart from the gospel. It is not tied to every specific of culture and custom. Its leaders can come and truly live among the people they are seeking to reach and adopt their ways and love them. Now, isn't that what Jesus did? John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, it says tabernacled, or as one translation puts it, pitched his tent among us. (laughs) In other words, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Our house here in Pensacola is located in a Habitat for Humanity subdivision. And the majority of our neighbors are black Americans and... uh these black Americans are here in habitat houses and many are fresh out of the projects where they lived and grew up for so many, many years. Like Doris, my neighbor down the street, what a fine lady she is, loves the Lord, serves her community and prays for her children and grandchildren. And because there's still a lot of distractions and temptations and pitfalls for young black men, we hadn't been in our home for a month when there was a shooting two doors down. A 17-year-old boy shot another boy. I don't know all the details, but I do know that that boy's in jail now. And it was about a year after that, that three doors down on the other side of our home was a drive-by shooting. But I want to tell you what the neighbors in our community have done. They've come together, Doris and others, who are concerned about their children and grandchildren. And together, we're we're working to provide basketball courts and an open area for these kids because we want them to know, first of all, that we love them, we care about them. And and second, we want them to know that there's a better way than the the way they're choosing the way they're living. And of course, ultimately, that way is, is found in Jesus so I visited some of the neighbors, passed out sandwiches to the kids after school from one of the local sandwich shops. I've watched some pickup basketball games. Look, I'm, I'm just trying to be there. I'm just trying to be a good neighbor. I'm just trying to be a, a part of the community and encourage and, and support the many, many young people that live in our Habitat community. Become like me, says Paul, for I became Like you. Now that's incarnational ministry, and that's how we reach people for Jesus. But I want you to notice what Paul goes on to say You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like Paul ended up in Galatia because he was sick. It doesn't sound like he planned to visit Galatia at all, at least not humanly speaking. But but what does Paul tell us in Romans chapter 8 verse 28? He says God works all things together for good, for those who love him, for the called according to his purpose. And it may or may not have been Paul's plan to preach in Galatia, but I think we can safely assume it was God's plan. And notice what he says in verse 14. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Now here we see a a true quality of friendship. Friends accept each other for who they are, warts and all, flaws and weaknesses. I had a friend in high school, and, and he was, and I'm, I'm just being honest here, but he, he was one of the ugliest guys I've ever known physically. And when we first met and started hanging out together, I noticed that he was, well, he was ugly. But after a while, I, I stopped noticing his appearance because I got to know him, and, and his person and his personality, his spirit is, is how I saw him. And that's how true friendship works. We, we look past flaws and appearances. We get to the point we don't even see them, really. Or if we do see them, we look beyond them. You remember what God told Samuel when he chose little David as king? He said, you know, Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Well, Paul connected with the Galatians, and the Galatians connected with Paul, and they built real, genuine, true relationships. But then these Jewish teachers showed up, and we can only imagine their criticism of Paul, the kinds of lies they told, the character assassination, and and I want to pause here just for a minute and say this. If we're faithful to the gospel, if we live in the light and truth of the cross of Jesus Christ, we can expect persecution and character assassination. that's what was happening to Paul. They, They criticized the man to discredit the message. So in verse 15, Paul says this, Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Now, some believe that Paul's illness was related to his eyes. Well, maybe, but... What I really think Paul is saying here is similar to something we might say. We'd say, you know, I'd give my right arm if I could help you. I'd give my right arm if I knew it would help you out. He's just saying, you showed me nothing but love and respect, and you helped me in every way you could. And then in verse 16, he sets forth another well-known teaching about friendship among the Greeks. And and I might add, it's pretty well-known among you and me. One that we would do well to let God engrave on our hearts, one we would do well to practice because it's a sign of a true friend. Paul asked this question Have I now become your enemy, Paul asked, by telling you the truth? The wounds from a friend can be trusted, Proverbs 27 6 tells us. And then he goes on to say, but an enemy multiplies kisses. (laughs) You know, it's not always easy to tell those we love and and care about the truth. But that's what true friends do. So appealing to these well-known characteristics of friendship among the Greeks, Paul pleads with the believers in Galatia to, to listen to what he's saying. And what he has to say next is is hard because now he's going to demonstrate that the Jewish teachers among them, flattering them, smothering them in the words of Proverbs with kisses, these Jewish teachers are anything but their friends. In fact, Paul's going to say they're, they're their enemies, enemies of the gospel, and enemies of the Galatians and their calling and walk with Christ. Verse 17. These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. In other words, Paul is saying their motives are misplaced. And and if you allow them to flatter you and entice you with their words, trying to force you to become like them without becoming like you, it won't be good. No good can come out of it. And he continues, and he says, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. Now, isn't that exactly what Jesus said about the Pharisees? You go back and take time to read Matthew 23, all that chapter. Jesus says in that chapter, everything they do is for people to see. He says they love the place of honor at the banquets and the best seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called a rabbi by others. That's what these teachers in Galatia wanted, respect, accolades, the praise of people. Again, Paul says, they want to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. Now, that's what self-seeking and self-promotion in ministry does. It's worldly ambitious, and it seeks worldly things, praise, quote-unquote success, and it divides rather than unites. I'm convinced that The greatest problem in the church today are those pastors and teachers, those Christian leaders who promote division instead of seeking peace. Rhetoric that is vitriolic, that inflames, that twists hearts and minds away from the purity and grace and love that's found in Christ Jesus. So rather than building up the body of Christ, they're tearing it down and And while tiring down the body of Christ, many are building up their own little kingdoms and ministries. They want to alienate you from us, Paul says, so that you may have zeal for them. And then in verse 18, he continues, it is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be always so, not just when I am with you. You know, for years... When I first read this verse, I, I thought Paul was talking about the zeal of the Galatians. They were zealous when Paul was with them and they weren't zealous when Paul was not with them. But, but Paul's not talking about the Galatians. Here, Paul's talking about Paul. He's talking about himself. And what he's saying here is, I am the same when I am with you or when I am not. I am zealous for the Lord and for the gospel. And what he's doing here is he's drawing a contrast between his zeal and the zeal of those Jewish teachers. Their zeal is self-serving. It is, as Paul has said, to win the Galatians over, to promote themselves, their ministries. But Paul says, my zeal is for the gospel and for Christ Jesus. And that zeal is consistent whether I'm with you or whether I'm not. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul talks about those who preach Christ out of envy and rivalry versus those who preach Christ out of goodwill, good motives. And in his letter to Timothy, I can't remember if this is first or second Timothy. Should have looked it up. But in his letter to Timothy, he, he talks about those who see the gospel as a means for personal gain, fulfilling selfish worldly ambitions. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think that's a temptation and a struggle that all ministers of the gospel face, especially in a, in our early years. But but always, but here's the reality, and here's what I've discovered: as we grow in Christ, as we take on the heart and mind of Jesus, well, those kind of temptations and struggles they, they fade away. And if we're truly growing spiritually as leaders, as pastors then more and more what you see in, in public in our lives, what we say from the pulpit, how we act with others, what we do in the spotlight of ministry is the same as what you see in private. Our zeal becomes more and more wrapped up in Jesus Christ and, and his truth and his ways and his message and his peace, and it's seen when we're alone in private or when we're out in public. And so Paul says what he does in verse 19. My dear children, for who I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Paul says, I am agonizing over your spiritual growth and maturity. I'm groaning. I'm in labor to see the spirit of Christ formed in your hearts and your lives. And and I want to point something out here that's very important. When Paul says Christ formed in you, the you that he uses here is plural. Now, yes, Christ is formed in us individually, but Christ is also formed in our congregations, our small groups, our Christian fellowships. Isn't that what Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name? I'm in their midst. Now listen, I I know many of you have experienced this. You walk into a church and almost immediately you can feel the spirit of Christ or not. There's a welcome presence, there's a sense of peace, or there's not. Congregations, churches have personalities, or maybe I should say spirits. Some churches emanate a good spirit, a healthy spirit, the spirit of Jesus, and and some don't. And as a rule, it's not that hard to tell the difference. So Paul ends this passage we're studying today on friends and enemies, and he says this, I wish I was with you. I wish I could change my tone. I I want you to hear my voice, not just read my words. I want you to hear the love and the longing I have for you and the concern that I have for you. That's how he ends this passage. And when we come back next time, Paul then is going to springboard off of that to urge these Galatian Christians to break ties with these self-serving teachers who are doing nothing but promoting confusion and division and who ultimately stand opposed to the good news found in Jesus Christ. The same news that the angel described to the shepherds in the field outside of Bethlehem when Jesus was born, they described it as good news for all people. This has been Church on the Edge with Dan Armistead, rethinking what church is and what church should be. If you like this episode, please leave a review at your preferred podcast provider, and you can find out more about this podcast as well as my articles, coming books, and more at danarmistead.com. And remember, it's all about Jesus and following him as his church on the edge.